Jai. This confounder Acharya Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Nantakoti Vaishnava Rindaki Jai. Namacharya Shilaridas Takur Ki Jai. Brahm Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nichananda Shri Adoita Gadadhar Shri Vasari Gaur Bhakta Rindaki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaimakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai. Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai, Navadweep Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Gangamai Jamuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakta Rinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om, Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya, Bhutale, Srimati, Bhaktivedanta, Swaminiti, Namane. Namase Saraswati Deve, Goravani Pacharane, Nirvasesa Sanyavati, Paskacha Desitarane. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavam Shashi Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Bitam Stam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bitam Stam Vanchakapa Trubishaki Pusindabi Abatapati Tanam Pavaneva Vaishnavi Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya November 30th, 2015, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 7, Further Inquiries by Vidura, Text 39. Namitani Chatasyeha Proktanyan, Proktanyan Agashur Ibi, Swatogyanam Kutapumsam, Bhaktir Vairagyamevava. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. Spotless devotees of the Lord have mentioned the source of such knowledge. How could one have knowledge of devotional service and detachment without the help of such devotees? Purport. There are many inexperienced persons who advocate self-realization without the help of a spiritual master. They decry the necessity of the spiritual master and try themselves to take his place by propagating the theory that a spiritual master is not necessary. Srimad Bhagavatam, however, does not approve this viewpoint. Even the great transcendental scholar Vyasadeva had need of a spiritual master, and under the instruction of his spiritual master Narada, he prepared the sublime literature Srimad Bhagavatam. Even Lord Chaitanya, although he is Krishna himself, accepted a spiritual master. Even Lord Krishna accepted a spiritual master, Sandipani Muni, in order to be enlightened. And all the acharyas and saints of the world had spiritual masters. In Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna accepted Lord Krishna as his spiritual master, although there was no necessity of such a formal declaration. So in all cases, there is no question about the necessity of accepting a spiritual master. The only stipulation is that the spiritual master should be bona fide, i.e., the spiritual master must be in the proper chain of disciplic succession called the Parampara system. Suris are great scholars, but they may not always be anaga or spotless. The anaga suri is one who is a pure devotee of the Lord. Those who are not pure devotees of the Lord or who want to be on an equal level with him are not anaga suri. Pure devotees have prepared many books of knowledge on the basis of authorized scriptures. 
Srila Rupa Goswami and his assistants, under the instructions of Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, have all written various literatures for the guidance of prospective devotees and anyone who is very serious about raising himself to the standard of a pure devotee of the Lord must take advantage of those literatures. Nimitani Chetasyeha Proktanya Gana Suribi Swatogyanam Kutapum Sam Bhaktivairagam Evava. So do I really need a guru? Vishnu Chakravati Thakur in commenting on this verse says it is all about the need of a guru. When I first came in contact with the Hare Krishna movement, I was 12 years old and I got the record that George Harrison produced, the Radha Krishna Temple album. And there was a photograph there of the Radha Londanishwar and also Srila Prabhupada. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't want a guru. I saw Prabhupada's picture and I thought, as soon as someone says, I am a guru, then they must be proud. They must be arrogant. (laughs) I don't want to deal with such persons. And that was the general mood in those times. That was the 1960s. And the mood was, don't trust anyone over 30, don't trust any authority, don't listen to anyone. I suppose that's the general mood of a teenager in the modern world, although in traditional societies it wasn't like that. And it's come to be the general mood in the world. Why should I accept any authority? I can do whatever I want. I can make my own decisions. I mean, one of the ways in which this philosophy jumps out in the modern society is the view of sexual morality. It used to be sexual morality meant that you had a religious marriage, uh, you had a marriage consecrated by a religious person dedicated to God, and that you uh, had the marriage on the basis of staying faithful lifelong, having godly children, and now it's just about consent of the two parties. As long as both people consent, uh, then it's moral. That's the modern standard. There's no other authority other than yourself. You know, they forget They forget that the body is not owned by them. They forget that there's another owner of the body. They're just the tenant. And they have to get that person's consent. But there's no, no care for that. We're our own authority. We can decide, right? It's, it's my body. This is the mantra. It's my body. I can do what I want. I can believe whatever I want. Uh, this is the post-positivism view of philosophy. Everybody's philosophy is as good as everybody else's. Why should anybody tell anybody else what to believe? Why should And the whole view of guru is, is really denigrated in modern society. As soon as you say there's a guru or you must belong to some manipulative cult and there's uh, books written about how the whole principle of guru must be corrupt and, and, and I believe this myself. I mean I was just a child but as a child this is what I was trained to believe. That as soon as somebody says I'm an authority, I'm a guru, that very statement negates their authority which is uh, of course, a little absurd. <laughs> and Prabhupada says here in this, in this purport that uh, per- persons just try to be spiritual master themselves by saying you don't need a spiritual master. And he says they decry the necessity of the spiritual master and try themselves to take his place by propagating the theory that a spiritual master is not necessary. And nobody sees the irony in this. So I'm going to be your authority to let you know that you can be your own authority. 
whoa, 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 wait a minute, <laughs> you're, you're taking the position of an authority in, in doing that. I'm going to write a book to tell you that you don't need books. Ravinda Sarupabhu talks about going to a meeting of people in an organization like this. And they talked and talked and talked about their philosophy. And then when Ravinda Sarupabhu asked them a question, they backed up on the stage and they waved their hands as, as if to stop someone and said words, 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 as if words were the most evil thing in the world after they just finished using thousands of them in their own talk. So this is the... <laughs> This is the irony. And even uh, if you don't try to teach anyone else, if you say, I'm going to be my own guru, well, hey, you know, you're still talking about having an authority. It's just yourself. And what do they say? Anyone who has himself for a guru has a fool for a disciple. Uh, we're going to look at some, at some of this bad press and bad experiences that kind of turn us off from being a guru. And then we're going to look at, well, why do we need a guru? Guru is guide, guru is corrector. So, yeah, there's a lot of bad press. There's so many false prophets. I don't care what religion or no religion. There's so many bad leaders. And there were bad leaders in ancient times also. It's not only King Vena was a very bad leader written about in the Bhagavatam. Hiranyakashipu was a bad leader. Duryodhana was a bad leader. Modern times do not have a monopoly on, on bad leaders. And we see that it's very easy for people to become under the sway of evil, selfish uh, leaders. I mean, we have the very scary situation at the present time in the United States that we have this man wanting to be president who's uh, egotistical uh, we'll have to say crazy person who's propounding philosophies that remind us of Nazi Germany and he has followers he has followers and it doesn't matter how crazy of the things that he proposes how egotistical the things he says it doesn't matter uh, it doesn't matter what he sanctions people still follow him. In fact, the crazier his proposals, uh, the more followers he gets. So we have people like this. And when they're cloaked in religion, of course, they become even more dangerous because when they cloak themselves in religion, they get a mood of being an absolute authority. I'm the mouthpiece of God, and everything I say is absolutely true. Years ago in Guyana, that Jim Jones who said to all of his followers, okay, drink the cyanide-laced Kool-Aid, and, and they did it. Uh, some of them under duress, but, but they did it. Oh, you're the mouthpiece of God. Whatever you say must be true. Or these guys who, you know, they, they have uh, uh, sex with other men's wives, and your wife has to be consecrated by me because I'm God. I mean, just the things that one would imagine that a rational reasonably minimally educated person would not agree to and somehow when someone takes on the robes of an authority whether they're a political authority or a business authority what to speak of a spiritual authority what to speak of a religious authority people do it and you know there's there's people claiming to be religious authorities that are sending others on suicide missions and the past that sent people on the crusades and 
Uh, this phenomena is not limited to any particular kind of person. It's not limited to a particular race. It's not limited to a particular religion. It's not limited to a particular nationality. I mean, right now people are clamoring about the fundamentalist Muslims, but there's been uh, fundamentalist Christians and Jews and anybody who throughout history have engaged in horrible, horrible activities, very evil, unspeakable evil activities at the urging of a false leader. So it, it's understandable. And I mean, in our uh, International Society for Krishna Consciousness, of all the people who were uh, authorized by the GBC to be Diksha Gurus, uh, we know that 38% of them were not able to follow their basic vows of a disciple. So it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. And one of the problems it, with the whole situation of Guru is outlined very nicely by Raghunath Das Goswami in his Manashiksha, when he talks about, in text 7, the most fundamental cheating. The most fundamental cheating is wanting fame and honor, and he compares the desire for fame and honor, not fame and honor itself. Uh, fame and honor itself is not evil, just like money itself is not evil. And Jesus said the love of money is evil. He never said money is evil. Money is Lakshmi. Fame is also Lakshmi Devi. But the desire for honor, Raghunath Das Goswami compares to an unchaste woman. Um, we find the unchaste woman. Why? Because when you want fame, you're not interested in relationships. You're interested in what you get from them. And if you don't get the honor here, then you'll go there, then you'll go there. You, you, you're actually serving people just for the honor they're giving you. There's no fidelity. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his song commentary on that verse says the illicit lover of this desire for fame is pretense. It's cheating. And the food for this desire for fame is dog meat. What one is eating is disgusting. And some of the acharyas compare the desire for fame to the excrement of a pig. So a pig eats others' excrement. And just imagine what a pig's excrement is like. And then one becomes a pretender. One becomes full of deceit. And when one becomes full of deceit, uh, one commits offenses and so forth. So why a pretender? Because none of us are worthy of absolute fame. The, the actual anaga suri, the real devotee, they want the fame to go to Krishna. They want the fame to go to their guru. Srila Prabhupada was always giving credit to his spiritual master. And he would say, if I have any credit, it's that I have faith in my spiritual master and I followed my spiritual master. That's the only credit he would ever take. He would never take other credit. I have faith in the holy name. I have faith in my guru. But he'd say for myself, I'm just a postal peon. I'm nothing. And he'd call himself a fifth-class man as a servant to the fourth-class man and so forth. But as soon as one thinks, you know, it is me, it is me, it is me, I am the... Then one has to pretend, because it's not me, it's Krishna. I'm not at the center. So the moment one wants this fame and honor for oneself, one immediately is pushed into pretense and cheating and hypocrisy. There, there's no alternative. You can't want yourself at the center and not engage in pretense. In fact, every conditioned soul is more or less engaged in pretending. We're pretending we're this body and this mind, and we have this and that role, and we're expert in so many things. Mm -hmm. 
So people have a bad taste in their mouth because of this problem. And it is a problem, and it's not a problem that's going to go away. It's a problem that's going to be there as long as there's conditioned souls and there's a material world. One will not have an organization, one will not have a system that can make sure that anyone who claims to be an authority is factually unagusory. And I'm sure the fact that one cannot eliminate this problem completely is one of the many reasons why the Shastra, like here in this verse, and so many other places, gives us what's the criteria for determining who's a proper guide. Because there will be false guides. If there weren't going to be false guides, there would be no need. Right? If someone says, I'm a guru, and then they're a guru. <laughs> of course, here Srila Prabhupada is giving uh, only, he uses the word only, he gives uh, as his only stipulation that the guru must be in the proper chain of disciplic succession. And you might say, well, well that's, that's not enough. Strotriyam Brahmanistam, that's half, being in the proper disciplic succession is the Strotriyam, but what about the Brahmanistam? And that, of course, he, then he explains in the next paragraph about being anaga, being spotless, being sinless, being fixed in the absolute truth. Of course, the jiva is not perfect in the way that God is perfect. That's not possible. Just like Arjuna and Krishna, the difference is there. The, the guru is a jiva. Of course, Prabhupada would say the, the guru is not a particular man. He'd say the guru is a truth. And Prabhupada objected to a poster early on in the Hare Krishna movement that was advertising his classes and using the word man for him. And Prabhupada said, the guru is not a man. <laughs> and there, there's only one guru, really, the guru is God, and the jiva represents the guru. But if you look at the, at the guru as an individual, then one may find, oh, you know, the guru is blowing his nose, and <laughs> the guru puts his shoe on the wrong foot or something like that. So that, that kind of perfection is not what we're talking about, some sort of utopian mental speculation perfection. But tatvadarshina, that the guru is not making a mistake, not in the sense of whether he puts the shoe on the left foot or whether he ever quotes a verse wrongly, but the guru doesn't make a mistake and that the guru does not accidentally do something sinful, uh, that everything the guru does, everything the guru thinks and says is in line with the absolute truth. And so the bad money doesn't drive away good. Although there's so many cheating gurus, without authority we cannot move forward. Without leadership we cannot move forward. In, in any sphere of life, children, you know, feral children who are raised without human contact, if they go on long enough, they never develop proper language skills, for example. One has to have, one has to have authority and guidance cannot figure things out by ourselves. At least one has to, without the authority of parents and teachers, how would we even have developed language and intelligence if we want to say, well, I can do it with my own perception and, and logic, but where did one get that from? Where did we get a sense of what's logical from? It's not just innate. It has to develop with the guidance of authorities, with the parents saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's logical. Oh, that's reasonable. Oh, that's moral. We cannot be without authority. It is not possible. And even if we take, well, everybody pretty much has those basic authorities, and once we have that, we can branch out on our own, but how much can we understand about God 
ourself in the process of attaining him, just using our senses and logic. How much can we... We can understand a lot, but can we understand enough? I mean, going through the streets of your local town, city, whatever you can understand, there must be a government. That you can understand. There's traffic lights, or as they call them in South America, robots, and there's lines painted in the streets, and there are streets, and there are schools, and there are prisons, and there are post offices, and your mail gets delivered. That must be a government doing these things. What kind of government? Is it a democracy? Is it communism? Is it a parliamentary democracy, a direct democracy? How many political parties are there? What are the names of the chief executives? That you all have to get from authority. You can't get that just by observing to some extent, but not fully. One has to go to authority. So what to speak of for God? And how to approach him? If I wanted to know, how do I talk to the political leader of my local jurisdiction, the local mayor, governor? What's the process? So just to know who the person is, I need authority and then the process, or I can't just make it up. Well, I'm going to just start randomly dialing phone numbers and hoping that the person will pick up. I go through lifetimes doing that, randomly writing in emails. I have to get the process for approaching that person from authority. So we're going to look at guru as guide and guru as corrector. So what is the guru do for us specifically in terms of spiritual life? Well, the guru sets an example. They're leading by their example. And we can, oh, what does the guru do? It's like we saw Srila Prabhupada. He's rising early. He's chanting minimum 16 rounds, three Gayatris. He's following the four regulative principles. He's teaching Krishna consciousness through speaking, through writing. He's setting up systems so people can find it easier to take up Krishna consciousness, establishing centers. He sets an example. Bhaktivinoda sets an example how to be a Krishna conscious married person. Bhakti Siddhanta sets an example how to be a Krishna conscious renunciate, etc. And then they give us specific instructions. Now, what's very important is that we have a guru who's physically present. We can have many gurus, but we at least have to have one guru who's physically present in our time and space and who can give uh, individual instructions according to our necessities. Just like Rupa Goswami says that uh, the principle of accepting a guru is for everyone, in the, but the details of the guru's instructions will be different. Just like we can talk about in, in marriage, the principle of a marriage is the husband and wife cooperate exactly how they cooperate. will differ from one marriage to another, and it will differ from one day to another in a particular marriage. Just like Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was challenged, why are you chanting the holy name of the Lord if Krishna is your husband? The chaste wife doesn't say her husband's name. She, she calls him by a title, not Swami Prabhu. Just like most children in the world, they still call their parents mother, father, mommy, daddy. They don't call them, you know, Helen and Joe. Of course, nowadays, many women do call their husbands by his first name. 
Anyway, this was the challenge of Lord Chaitanya said, you don't understand. The duties of a chaste wife is to follow her husband's instructions. And Krishna says to chant my name, Satitam Kirtayantam. So, one needs a guru to give one specific instructions. Prabhupada would sometimes give people diametrically opposite instructions in what appeared to be the same situation. In one letter, he'd say, this devotee should finish his college degree and this devotee should not. Opposite instruct, two devotees in the same temple, both going to the same college, and Prabhupada said one of them should finish and one of them should not. So one needs a, a, a guru who's going to tailor the instructions for us individually and to tailor generally for the time, place, and circumstances of our lives. Otherwise, the Bhagavatam says that the brahmachari wears deer skin and, and matted hair, but when Mahaprabhu saw the devotee in deer skin, he's, he, he wasn't happy. He didn't want devotees even 500 years ago dressing in deerskin. And you could say, well, it's in the Shastra. It's in the Shastra that in the Vanaprastha order, the woman should have dreadlocks and old torn clothing. You know, but would that be appropriate for 2015? I mean, maybe if you live in Vrindavan, nobody would care. But for the rest of the world, even in Mayapur, it wouldn't be appropriate. So what's the time, place, and circumstance? What's the general circumstance? What's one specific circumstance? From the Guru we also get inspiration. We get inspiration on the, we could say, ordinary platform in, in a similar way to which one gets inspiration from any great person. It's like it's said frequently in the Shastra that attachment to materialistic persons is the doorway to hell, but attachment to saintly persons the same attachment when applied to saintly persons opens the door to liberation. Lord Kapivadev says this, Lord Rishabdev says this. Mahaprabhu. Attachment to the sadhu. So in, in a similar way to which we get inspired by some, you know, athlete or movie star, or, we get inspired. And then it happens on a transcendental supramundane level that by the association of the guru the, the rays of their mood the rays of their devotion reflect in our heart we get a shadow or a reflection of their mood which can spark a devotional mood in us and then we have the option of, of fanning that spark and turning it into a blazing flame and the guru is also corrector and I think that this is one of the most important functions of the guru and probably the least appreciated. Now, most conditioned souls, or we could say all conditioned souls, the definition of being a conditioned soul is that one more or less has the mood, uh, I am the enjoyer. Ishwaraham, aham bogi, siddham. I am the controller, I am the enjoyer. I am perfect, powerful, and happy. There is none as perfect and powerful and happy as I am. I'm a good person. I do good things. And when one comes to spiritual life, one starts thinking, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. There's all kinds of parodies on the internet of, you know, the, the proud spiritual person. Oh, I'm so spiritual. <laughs> You know, I have Tibetan singing bowls and crystals and angel figurines in my house. And I'm 
only eat raw food and I smile at everybody and so I am spiritual. I am so spiritual. But this pride, you know, or I chant my 16 rounds, follow the four regular principles. I don't even eat onions and garlic. I am so spiritual. I get up at 2 a.m. and chant 185 rounds. How spiritual I am. <laughs> so there's this ego. I know everything. And it's an absurd ego. It's, it's absurd, but we have it. If we're a conditioned soul, more or less we have it. We don't want to be corrected. We don't want to be corrected. I mean, it's interesting. Even when people ask for correction, they generally don't want to be corrected in my experience. You know, I've been working on the editorial board of Back to Godhead since 1990, and people don't want advice as to how to fix their writing. People would rather have their writing not get published than take advice about how to fix it. You know, we'll, we'll say to them, okay, it's a great piece, but just do this, fix, and that. And then we never hear from them again. Oh, why didn't you resubmit it? Oh, I thought you didn't like it. Didn't like it? We said it was great. We wanted you to, to fix a couple sentences. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I mean, we run into this all the time. Well, if I have to make all those fixes, I just, just forget it. I won't submit. I'll publish it myself on my own blog where I don't have to fix anything. And people actually say that. I, I'm, this is not an exaggeration. It's not something made up. It happens all the time with devotees. If I have to fix that one sentence, I'll just publish on my own blog. I mean, sometimes we even we say to people, look, this is not bona fide. Why should I listen to you? We don't like being corrected. We don't like admitting that there's anything, right? Siddhaham, we want to say, I'm already perfect. So just the first part, just submitting to the Guru's instructions, I mean, that's pretty hard for a lot of people. But even among all the people who do that, I, I had just a, an interchange recently where there's uh, one devotee whose uh, Diksha Guru has left the planet many years ago. And he was writing and disseminating out-and-out lies about other devotees. I mean, and he knew they were lies. He, he totally knew they were lies. He was just making up stuff and sending it out. And if anyone said to him, he said, oh, everyone else knows a lie. It's a lie. It's just funny criticizing devotees by making up lies about them. He said, it's just humorous, and this way people will stop respecting all these other devotees. That was his comeback. But he did claim to have a shiksha guru. So at one point I wrote to his shiksha guru, and I said, uh, dear so-and-so devotee, uh, you may be aware that this person who claims to be your disciple is spreading around papers and videos that he knows to be false, criticizing devotees. And so the guru wrote back, I don't think he'll listen, but I'll try. So the guru wrote a letter to this uh, so-called disciple, included me, at 
Uh, please stop this. And the disciple wrote back, Nobody can control me. I will do whatever I want. I will not listen to you. And he wrote a whole list of all the people he wouldn't listen to. I will not listen to my local temple authorities. I will not listen to my local GBC. I will not listen to the GBC body. I will not listen to anybody because I am fighting for Dharma. <laughs> and, I, you know, we don't like it. We don't like somebody saying, you need to fix something. You're wrong. You've made a mistake. Why? Because we have this false ego. We have this sense of self that we don't want any chinks in it. We want to attain to the kingdom of God and devotional service without giving up the false ego. We don't really want the real ego of being a servant. I mean, it gets so absurd that, you know, there was that devotee who stood up and said, Srila Prabhupada, I'm the most fallen. And Prabhupada said, you're not the most anything. Sit down. We want to be the most humble. (laughs) Perfect in our humility. Perfect in whatever. If you've ever tried telling someone they're not chanting the mantra properly in their japa, you know, they're ready to punch you. I mean, I've been in temples where people are chanting Hari Rama, Hari Rama, 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 Rama. <laughs> and I said, do you take a long time to chant your rounds? Uh, yeah, I said, you know, you might want to record how you're chanting and listen to it. And don't tell me how to chant. So if we actually accept a guru, if we really accept a guru, if it's not just a fashion, oh, look, I have my guru. Oh, who's your guru? Oh, so-and-so. But do you listen to that person when they correct you? No. I listen to no one. And most people aren't as gross as that man. And the guru also, not only to correct us, but to destroy our doubts. This is one of the main relationships that Arjuna has with Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita when he takes the role of, of Krishna's, Shishya, Krishna's disciple. And he asks Krishna to destroy his doubts. Our doubts and our fears are what keeps us from going forward. In the time moments of clarity when we can understand, oh, this is what I need to do, and then we oh but I don't want to. I'm 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 holding back against it. I'm I'm pushing against it myself. I'm I'm hugging the tree that I need to let go of. So the guru can destroy our doubts. In fact, some of the criteria for whether one is a kanista, majjama, or uttama bhakta. The kanista has, can be put into doubts by others and cannot destroy others' doubts. The majjama devotee cannot be put into doubts by others, but nor can they always destroy others' doubts. And the uttama bhakta cannot be put into doubting by others and can destroy others' doubts. So the guru should destroy our doubts. So we have to air them. We have to bring our doubts into the sunlight and allow the guru to destroy them. And the guru answers questions. Prashnena, one is supposed to ask questions of the guru. Now that doesn't mean that one should ask the guru 10,000 questions a day. That doesn't mean we ask the guru, do I buy, you know, uh, green socks or purple socks? Absurd inquiries are condemned. Blind following and absurd inquiries are both condemned. So it's not that we should just simply... Uh, fill up our guru's email inbox with 20 questions a day that we can easily answer ourselves with a little thoughtfulness. 
But the guru is supposed to be answering our questions, and it's necessary that we bring our questions to the guru. Our questions not only, as we already said, to destroy our doubts, uh, our questions about following the process, how we can tailor the process to ourselves, our questions about Krishna. And we should, as far as possible, be asking questions that will, the guru will also be very happy to answer. And the, of course, the Shastra is full of such questions. Uh, this section, further increased by Vidura, is Vidura's questions. And some of them are, are deep and some of them are difficult, but they all will provoke in the speaker discussions about Krishna. And one of the most wonderful experiences for any teacher of Krishna consciousness is when the questions asked by people provoke further and further realizations and to Shanticha, Ramanticha, and there's this incredible exchange between the speaker and the hearer. So with understanding the role of a guru, we can see it's important that the guru be anagasuri, that the, the guru be someone who's fully devoted to the Lord without sin. Aga means, means sin. And of course we have the agasura, the great python, who's simply envious of the devotees and wants to kill uh, the devotees. And uh, anyone who is without sin, anyone who is without offense, they will understand that the cause, they will say to us, the cause of our devotion is this association with the devotees, this reliance on guru. Without blind following, uh, without absurd inquiries, but with humility and submission and, and service. Frankly, we also need a guru as somebody to whom to render service. To think at every moment, it, would my guru be smiling at me? I hope my guru is smiling at me. I hope my guru is, is pleased with what I'm doing. And that way I know Krishna will be pleased. Of course, sometimes, like with... with uh, Ridai Chaitanya, Krishna was pleased and the Guru wasn't pleased. Or with Bali Maharaj. But generally speaking, we can think, how can I please my spiritual master? Satsuma Maharaj talks about how when he brought a mango to Srila Prabhupada, Prabhupada said something like, very good boy. <laughs> As it was what we want, we want the Guru to say, yes, you're a good and faithful servant. Yes, you, are, you have been trained properly. Not that the guru wants a servant himself. The guru is training us to be servants of Krishna. Like if you're going to, to serve the Queen of England and somebody will train you how to be a good servant. So without a guru, the chances of our attaining Krishna consciousness, you know, you're waiting, you're, you're expecting some kind of creepa city, some lightning bolt to come from the sky. may happen with some people some unexplicable creeper city sometimes one should not expect that one should not expect that I, I mean I remember decades ago we were building a Gurukul building and we were short some funds and then we got a letter in the mail that my husband's great aunt whom he hadn't seen for decades had left us some money. She had no children, and it was all divided between her nieces and nephews. And 
And we got enough money to finish paying for the Gurukul building. That was pretty amazing. But you don't expect that. You know, it's not what you expect that. You don't say, well, I'm just going to sit at home and, you know, money's just going to come in the mail. You, you get a job. <laughs> you have a business. You have some occupation. You have some livelihood. So in a similar way, one makes some endeavor to find a bona fide guru, to be a bona fide disciple, and to ask questions, to air one's doubts, to follow the instructions, to ask good questions, to render service. Not as some kind of cult way, not in a cultish way, not as, not as making a personality cult out of the guru, to understand that guru is one, guru is not a particular person, guru is, is a truth, guru is eternal truth, and I have allegiance to this particular person who is a conduit for the truth. I don't negate the personality in my personal relationship. At the same time, the, uh, the person is training me to fall in love with Krishna. So, questions, comments?